Let us now read together from our confessions. First, from the Belgian Confession, Article 29. And then we will read the paragraph found on page 464 of your Book of Praise, that first paragraph on the top of your page. There we summarize God's word as follows. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the, mark of, by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. And now let's read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord's Days 36 and 37, dealing with the third commandment. Both of those Lord's Days deal with the third commandment. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the hearts to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 64, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when we think about the sin against the third commandment, then we usually think about unbelievers. And they are especially the ones who blaspheme God's name. We hear them do it in the workplace, in the media, movies, in the radio, and TV, and in the public places. They use God's name in vain all the time. 
And so we do not see ourselves so much addressed in this commandment. This applies more to outsiders. What perhaps does apply to us is the fact that sometimes we are silent bystanders. People will use God's name in vain in our presence, and we don't always say something. We let it go. And we feel guilty about that. But for the rest, we are somewhat proud of the fact that we are pretty good in keeping the third commandment. We don't use God's name in vain. Our neighbors and our fellow workers even comment on that. They notice that we are different from them in that regard. And so, when it comes to this commandment, we can have at least some peace. However, when we deal with the Ten Commandments, we have to think about the context in which they were given. That's also true of this commandment. This commandment, like the rest of them, were given to God's people. That still applies today. This commandment is, first of all, for you and for me. The Lord, our God, gave us a special commandment to deal with the way we use his name. And so he is greatly concerned about you and me in that regard. He knows that we misuse his name in so many ways. We do it all the time. How? How do we do that? And why do you think that he is so deeply concerned? Well, when you speak about the name of God, then you speak about his reputation. His name reveals who he is. His name reveres to everything that he stands for, his power, his greatness, his majesty, his loving kindness and mercy, his unassailable and liberating justice. And when we blaspheme God's name, then we sully his reputation. It pleases him to use us to proclaim his name, to use us as his children to magnify his name, to make it great. For we are the crown of his creation. We are his image bearers. He gave us that task so that we can promote God's kingdom. And if we blaspheme God's name by our words and actions, and then we stand in the way of such promotion of God's kingdom. And so it is important for us to ask how we, as God's people, blaspheme his name. That's what I will preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows. We have to magnify God's name. And we have to do that in the first place in our private lives and in the second place in our public lives. I'll state that once again, we have to magnify God's name, first of all in our private lives and also in our public lives. Israel blasphemed God's name in numerous ways. She did that from the word go. How? Think about how Israel conducted herself in the desert. First, the Lord God rescued them miraculously from the hands of the Egyptians. Nothing like that had ever happened before on the earth. And then, once they were in the desert, he gave all of them enough food for every day. He also gave them to drink. These things, humanly speaking, were no small feats. You cannot grow a crop in the desert. There was little water to go around as well. Yet God made these things available to them in abundance. 
He sent them manna from heaven every day, except Saturdays, of course, and he miraculously produced water from the rocks. He also made sure that their clothing and their shoe wear would not wear out. To top it all off, he also defeated their enemies. But nevertheless, the Israelites treated God as if he had little or no power or influence. They emptied the content of his name by complaining and murmuring. They were afraid that they were going to die in the desert. In spite of God's miracles, they did not trust him. They wanted to take things into their own hands. They were afraid of the future. Everything was too uncertain for them. They wanted to have greater control over their own lives. And so what did they do? They went to the world to see how the people of the world got along, how they controlled their future. And the Israelites noted that by and large the people of the world were doing just fine, thank you. It seemed to them that the people of the world sometimes were even doing better. They had plenty of food and drink and clothing. And these heathens also had their own gods who controlled every sphere of activity. They already noticed that in Egypt. And in Egypt, the Israelites already fell into idolatry. And in the desert again, they fell into that same sin. Idol worship attracted them. Why? Well, in their way of thinking, those gods gave a much greater sense of security. Those gods are more directly involved in your everyday life. You have gods, for example, who can regulate the weather, and gods who can control over the sea, and another god who has control over the mountains, and another one over the realm of the dead. And again, others look after the growth of the crops and after the cattle. And you can also control those gods, for if you knew the secret name of a certain god, and you could receive certain things from him, things that others could not receive. If you knew that secret name, then you could have power over that God. To know the name of a certain God and to pay attention to him or her in a flattering way is important. If you knew exactly what pleased your particular God, then you had it made in the shade. Then you controlled your own destiny. You could receive from that God what you wanted. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in this day and age we also have our gods, our idols. And they come in all shapes and sizes. As we learned from a previous Lord's Day, such a God is anything you put your trust in aside from the Lord your God who has revealed himself in his word. You can make a God out of another person, for example out of a fellow human being. Knowing a specific person's name gives you a certain influence over him. Mr. Carl Heinz Schreiber, who has been in the news lately, was well aware of that. He used the former Prime Minister of Canada, Mr. Brian Mulroney, for his own purposes. Mr. Mulroney knows important people. He calls many of the leaders of the world by their first name. Mr. Schreiber paid Mr. Mulroney large amounts of money to peddle his influence with these men so that Mr. Schreiber 
could sell them his wares. Isn't that what we do too? It's good to know names. It's not always what you know that gets you ahead, but who you know. We look to those who have influence to help us get ahead. That's how the world operates. And if you do that in a lawful manner, then that is not necessarily wrong. But if that is the one thing that you depend on to get ahead in life, then you are on shaky ground, and then you will also easily compromise your ethics. We can have idols in every sphere of life. When it comes to our health, we can make our doctor our idol. When it comes to emotional well-being, then your wife or your husband or your children or your psychiatrist or your counselor may become your idol. We can have many gods in our lives regulating every aspect of our life. In our daily lives, we go from crisis to crisis. And time and again, we look for solutions. And we want quick fixes. And so we employ quick remedies. And we look to whatever is closest at hand that will help us. And so we easily put our trust in a God if we think that that God can help us get us out of our present predicament. That's what the heathen did during biblical times, and that's what we do today. But do you know what those gods cannot do? They cannot give you the renewal of all of life. They can only give you temporary solutions. And they certainly cannot do what the Lord our God can do. For the Lord our God does not just concern himself with our daily lives, but he concerns himself with the totality of our lives. Our God rules heaven and earth. He rules And he does not allow himself to be ruled or to be manipulated. And he is the almighty God who is bringing this world to its final destination. He is in the business of saving this world. And to give it freedom from sin, from death and Satan. The gods of this world cannot do that. They're powerless. They can only give temporary solutions to minor problems. God's name is often mentioned in the Bible. God reveals himself through the many names given to him. When you think about God's name, then you have to think about what he has done. We may know him as the creator. We may know him as the savior of Israel from Egypt. We may know him as the helper of Israel. We may know him as our helper. That is why we confess that every time at the beginning of a worship service, as we saw a few weeks ago. And he has attached his reputation to his name. He is the God who promised us that he would give us the Messiah. He he promised us that he would give us a king from David's house who would bring eternal peace over the whole world. And he delivered. When you know him and the many names by which he reveals himself, then you have a very powerful God on your side. Now you may take his name upon your lips and call out to him, the almighty creator, 
For you know him. He has revealed himself to you. He has revealed to you what he has done and what he will do. But if you do not act in accordance with your faith, in accordance with the content of his many names, then you blaspheme his name. You sin against the third commandment, for example, when you are full of anxiety about your everyday problems. And you put God on the back burner. Then you turn first to your banker, or to your friends, or to your business associates, or to your doctor to help you out of your crisis. And perhaps as an afterthought, you call upon the name of God, just in case that will help. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, you must first put your trust in God before you put your trust in anyone or anything else. You must trust in the Lord your God to send you the help when you need it. And you trust in him that he will do that in his own way and in his own time. You cannot control God. You do not rule him. He rules. If you do not want to sin against the third commandment, then you put your whole life at his disposal. If you deny that God is totally in control of your life, then you blaspheme his name. If you deny that he cannot help you out of your troubles, then you also blaspheme his name. If you deny the promises that he makes to you and to your children, that he will forgive you your sins and give you eternal life, then you also blaspheme his name. If you deny that our children belong to the covenant, and you do not want them baptized until they make a decision for themselves, then you also blaspheme his name. For then you scorn his promises. Then you deny the fact that he is in control of your life from the cradle to the grave. You have to magnify God's name in your private life. To magnify something means to make it clearly visible. It means to take it under the microscope so that you can take a look at every aspect of it. And in this case, in every aspect of God's name. That's what you have to do every day. You have to start off your day by drawing attention to God's name. You call upon him in prayer. You call upon him to guide you during the day as you make your many ethical decisions. You think about what his name means for you in your life, and not just in your private life, but also in your public life. We come to the second point. When unbelievers take God's name in vain, they do so out of ignorance. They don't know him. We take offense at their abuse of God's name in the way that they take his name upon their lips. We want them to use more respectable language. Rebuking them, however, about the misuse of God's name does not really teach them to honor God's name. As believers, as those who know what God's name stands for, we have to make them aware of the greatness of God's name. The question is, how do we do that? Well, brothers and sisters, you do that by praising God's name in all your words and works. 
as answer 99 of the Heidelberg Catechism says. Are you concerned that we are not doing enough about evangelism? That's a very legitimate concern, for indeed, that is what we should be doing. We should magnify God's name in our public lives. But how do you do that? How do you evangelize? Have you ever wondered about that? What do you think evangelism is all about? Do you think it is about organizing all kinds of events, for example, or knocking on people's doors, or standing on a street corner, or organizing a soup kitchen? Those are good things, but they don't mean anything at all if in your own life you don't evangelize by the things you do and the things you say. Then all the other activities are only the icing on the cake. It's not so hard to organize events outside of your own circle of friends and your own family. And that way you can leave your own private life intact. But if you want to evangelize, you also have to do that in your public life. In the life you live every day. The best way to evangelize is to make God's name great in the way that you present yourself to others. What kind of person do your fellow workers see? What kind of person do your children see? Or your wife? Or your husband? Or your parents? No doubt your fellow workers know that you're a Christian. They know that you go to church, etc. Those things are hard to hide. But do they know what a Christian is by looking at you? A Christian is not just someone who goes to church. No, a Christian is someone who reflects the qualities of Christ. We read together from Article 29 of the Belgic Confession. And it speaks there about the marks of Christians. It says there that a Christian believes in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. He flees from sin and pursues righteousness. And he loves the true God and his neighbor. Does that sound like you? Do you know what one of the biggest stumbling blocks is to others coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ? It is their misconception who God is. And they often have that misconception because of you and me. If you want to make an impact on others, then you had better be a witness in your everyday life, in your workplace in your place of recreation, in your neighborhood. That's the best kind of evangelism. First of all, you have to do that with your mouth. When someone uses the name of Jesus Christ or of God in vain, then you have an opportunity to introduce that name to them. You can ask them, oh, do you know that name as well? Let me tell you what that name means to me, what he has done for me. And that's why I go to church, and I would love to invite you along, so that you can also know about his name. Have you ever done that with your fellow workers or with your neighbor who use God's name in vain? Don't be shy. Your neighbors know little or nothing about God, and what they do know is a total misrepresentation. If, when they misuse God's name, it is just like a word to them. God's name doesn't mean anything to them. You have to 
magnify his name to your neighbor. As a Christian, we have to bear a lot of blame for not revealing God's name in the way that he should be known. The media represent fundamentalist Christians as intolerant bigots who worship a God who is angry with all kinds of sinners, such as homosexuals and pedophiles, Muslim people, etc., etc. And the media is able to use plenty of quotes from the various Christian groups to back their claim. That's where the people of the world get their information from about God. They also get it from liberal Christians, and they like that better. Liberal Christians represent God as a God of love. They give the impression that if you do something wrong, then God will not really hold you responsible, and he will accept anybody. And so the world would rather think of such a God They want a God of love. They want a God who always forgives. And so the world has a totally wrong picture of who God is. Of what his name means. And there are lots of opportunities to dispel those notions. You can write to the newspapers. You can make God's name known to the people. Do you do that? Is that how you evangelize as well, brothers and sisters? Not everybody is able to do these kinds of things, but everyone has the opportunity in this world to make God's name great. But you have to put yourself in a position where the people will listen to you. In other words, you have to have credibility. If you are just as anxious about your daily troubles as the rest of the world, if you handle your problems in much as the same way as your fellow workers and as your neighbors, then you won't have much credibility with them. If you cheat and elbow your way through life, then you blaspheme the name of God which is written on your forehead. And if you play fast and loose with the truth, and you do not keep your promises like many unbelievers do, then you blaspheme God's name. Scripture tells us that our yes must be yes and our no, no. When we make a promise, then it is like swearing an oath. A Christian, when a Christian promises something, then he will also keep that promise. And if he does not do that, if he makes a promise that he is going to do something, if he knows full well that he is not likely to keep that promise, but that he makes that promise in order to get people off their backs, then you are not an image bearer of God. For God always keeps his promises. He is a faithful God. You can rely on him. And in our business dealings and in our dealings with Whoever we come into contact with, we have to be reliable. We have to stand out like a beacon. If not, then we blaspheme God's name. You may say, well, we're all sinners like the rest of the world. We slip and we fall, and you're right. And therefore, also in that way, you should model the fact that you're a Christian. 
Article 29 of the Belgian Confession says that although great weakness remain in us as Christians, we fight against it by the Spirit all the days of our lives. And then comes the important sentence. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ and only have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. Is that you? Do you appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, and death, and obedience of Jesus Christ? Is that the kind of person others see? Is that how you magnify God's name? How does your neighbor see you? Does he see you as a holy roller? As someone better than they? Or do they see a humble man or a woman who constantly fights against his or her sins, who asks for the forgiveness of sins, also of their fellow workers when they sin against them, when they have wronged them? Is that you? Is that how you hold God's name high? What about in your own home? Because that's where it should start. For if you want to be, if you want to talk about being a prophet in the world, then you had better, first of all, do that in the home. You have to model that to your children, to your wife, to your husband, to your parents. And you do the same thing in church. We sin against each other and we do that all the time. But if you do that, then you had better admit it. And humble yourself. If that is how you conduct yourself, then you magnify God's name in your life. We read together from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Paul commends the church there for being a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia and all over the world. He says in verse 8, your faith has become known everywhere. How do you think that happened? How do you think their faith became known through that whole region? How did they attract others to their church? Well, Paul makes that abundantly clear. He writes in verse 9 about the kind of reception that they gave the Apostle Paul. In other words, they were open to his ministry. They were eager to hear God's words from his lips. And they showed him hospitality. And as a result... As he says further in that verse, they turned from idols to the to serve the living and true God. In other words, they put those words that Paul spoke to them, they put them into action. And they suffered because of it. Because they became different from the people of the world. But they were not afraid. They trusted in God. And the people around them saw how different they are from others. They saw that from their conduct. If you conduct yourself differently from the world, then the world will stand up and notice. And then you will also need to explain that to others. Those Thessalonians suddenly turned from one way of living to another way of living. That required an explanation. And then he will have spoken about why they conducted themselves in the way that they did. For the people do not just get to know our God by the kinds of lives we live. 
but especially in the way that we speak about God, how we give credit to Him in everything, that He is sovereign over our whole lives, that He rules. As I said earlier, there are all kinds of idols that we serve, all kinds of gods, also today. Do your neighbors, do your fellow workers, do your children see that you do not serve the same idols as the world? Do they see that God's name is more important to you than anything else in your whole life? Do you speak to your children about that, brothers and sisters? What about in your family? Do you just set the rules in the family without an explanation? Just do as I tell you? Or do your children know why there are the rules? Are those rules applied in love in the way that the Lord God applies his rules to us? Do they understand that they are Christian principles and why? Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the third commandment, there are still lots of things that you and I have to work on, aren't there? Every single day. Because of our sins, we blaspheme God's name all the time. And isn't it comfortable to know, comforting to know that our God is a merciful God? If we are truly sorry for our sins, then we may know that he will also forgive us. And so don't despair, because again, this morning, we all stand condemned. But not before God, because he also forgives us. He just wants us to teach us time and again that we keep his law. The law is given to God's people. And in spite of the way that we are, God loves us. Isn't that great? And that's the message you may give to others. You may witness of that in your lives. You may witness of the fact that God forgives repentant sinners. That he wants to give them eternal life. He wants to dwell with you forever and ever so that you may magnify his great and wonderful name all the days of your life here on earth and into eternity. Blessed be God's name. Amen.